We're going to be uh, taking a break in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 11, uh, sorry, Mark 11. We'll be at Mark. So turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 11, and please stand as Chad gives reading and attention to the Word of God. Mark 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say the Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said. And they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest! And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And Lord, we, we are thankful for it, for all the promises that it has for us, for those of us who are in Christ, like Philippians 1, 6, that, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Lord, in a group this size, there are many of us that are, are walking on green pastures. Things are going well. Our marriages are well. Our kids are going well. Uh, our job is going well. Uh, life is good. We're on green pastures. And Lord, we, we, we worship and we, and we thank you for those times. But we also recognize that there are also those that are, that are in the valley right now. They're going through it. They're battling. So it's our prayer this morning that you would give faith to those who are doubting, to give hope to those who are in despair, to give encouragement to those who are downcast, and to give joy to those who are dejected. Lord, and it's all found in you. And the good news is there's no, no hoops to jump through, no mountains to climb, just an invitation to be accepted. That comes from you. And that invitation is all of us who are, are heavy burdened and weary, Come to Jesus. Come to Him and He will give you rest. And so, Lord, that's what we look to this morning. This is the day that You've made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, go ahead and have a seat. Well, this is going to be weird because you know, you know how I like to talk. I like to use my hands, so this is going to be weird. I'm going to be doing this a lot, you know. So uh, it might look funny on video, but anyways, here we go. Again, as we said, today... Uh, is the day of Holy Week, the passion of the Christ. It's the last week that we're looking at that Jesus lived here on earth. And again, it begins with today, Palm Sunday, and it ends with next Sunday, Easter Sunday. Today is known as the Triumphal Entry or Palm Sunday. It's the Passion Week. And when we talk about passion, you know, when I was younger, I thought, oh, the Passion Week is kind of weird with all the events that happen. Well, Passion Week doesn't mean uh, Jesus' love for Jerusalem or his love for people or his passion for life. What passion means, it means suffering. So literally, when we say Passion Week, this, is, this is, means the suffering week. This is the week in which Jesus 
is going to end up going to the cross for your sin and my sin. To suffer the wrath of God on your behalf and my behalf. It's the Passion Week. It's intense. And it's the cornerstone of the Christian faith. Jesus was born to live, to die, and to be raised up again in new life. And this week, several thousand years ago, transformed and changed the trajectory of life and history as we know it on this planet. At a world, at a global level, but also at an individual level. Because Jesus came, died, and rose again, it changes how we respond to worldwide epidemics, viruses, how we, how we respond to, to school shootings and school murders, how we respond to anger and depression, to greed, lust, gender confusion, all that. Because without this week, we would be a people left with no hope, no peace, and no faith. But because Jesus came, because He lived, because He died, and because He rose again, we can have hope. We can have a faith. We can have a joy and a security. Because Jesus' life, death, and resurrection proved that He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That He has authority over sin, over sickness, over death, over evil. And ultimately, He is the giver of eternal life. And so as we, we look back to His first triumphal entry a couple thousand years ago, it, it should propel your faith and my faith to look forward to His second triumphal entry. His second coming. The first time He came as the suffering King. The second time Jesus comes, He's coming as the sovereign King. The first time He came to, to give His life as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. His second triumphal entry, He will come as the Lion of the tribe of Judah to end sin in this world and to usher in an eternal kingdom in heaven and on earth. So as we look at this familiar story, this triumphal entry, let it propel us to look not only backwards, but let it propel us to have a future faith and look forward to His second entry. We'll begin here in Mark chapter 11, but we're going to end in Revelation 19. So first, Mark 11 verse 1, we see the servant king arrives. The servant king arrives. Look at verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. It's, the, it's Sunday. It's the first week uh, in the Jews' calendar. It's, it's the Jewish Monday. Uh, coming Jews, it's like the Jewish Monday. Coming from the east, Jericho, the lowest city on the earth. Jericho is 800 feet below sea level. Jerusalem is 2,800 feet above. So they're taking this journey basically straight up. Jesus and his disciples, they got to be incredible and tremendous shape. And so they're hiking up. It takes them most of the day. It's basically, you guys know what Risk Canyon, every guy's ever drive or ride a bike or walk up Risk Canyon. It's like going up Risk Canyon twice. I mean, it's an intense journey. And so this is how they're starting out. And it says in the next couple, in the next couple verses, Jesus is going to fulfill major prophecies regarding the Messiah. Look at verse 1b. It says, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt. Matthew adds a young donkey as well. So there's a colt and a young donkey tied to which no one has ever sat. 
Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back there immediately. And we see this is exactly what happens. Look at verse four. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street and they untied it. And verse five says, and some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing? Untying the colt. And they told him what Jesus had said. The Lord has need of it. And they let them go. Can you imagine this scene? These two disciples go in. They, they go exactly where Jesus tells them to go. There's a colt. There's a donkey there. And there's some people there. They go. They just start untying it. They didn't ask permission. They just go and start untying it. Then all of a sudden, the people are like, yo, what are you trying to do? Steal my donkey? And they kind of use the force. The Lord has need of it. And they said, oh, okay. And they took the colt. We'll bring it back, right? But why does Jesus need a donkey? I mean, he's been around for the last three years. They've been walking all over Israel, north, south, east, west. Why all of a sudden does he need a donkey to ride on? Well, Matthew and John's account give us the reason why. It's because he's fulfilling a prophecy. Zechariah 9.9. This is what Matthew 21 verse 4 says. Tells us why he needs a donkey. Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humbled and mounted on a donkey, on the colt, the fowl of a donkey. So that's why he needs a donkey, because he is fulfilling prophecy, a a prophecy that was 500 years old. Jesus is now fulfilling that. And then also notice in verse 2, back in Mark 11, it says, no one has ever sat. Another fulfillment of prophecy. An animal, a a, a donkey or a horse that no one sat in. It was holy. It was set apart. This is what was reserved for kings. No one has ever ridden this animal. It was reserved for kings. You can see that in Numbers 19 in Deuteronomy 21. And so this animal that has never been written, Jesus sends in his disciples to bring him back so he can mount on it and come into Jerusalem as the humble king. It's, 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 it's going exactly as Jesus said it was going to go. And again, Jesus is partly showing us his sovereignty over every, every situation. The simplest action of, of sending his disciples into town to get a donkey to fulfill a 500-year-old prophecy. Amazing. And again, Jesus riding in on this donkey, his actions are speaking louder than his words at this point. His actions are speaking louder than his words. What he is saying by riding in on this donkey from the Mount of Olives is, I am the Messiah. I am the humble king that is coming to save Israel. And you remember in the Gospels, as we've been going through them, in the Gospels, Jesus is starting to perform all these, he- all these healings, all these miracles. And he's telling everyone, but shh, don't tell anyone who I am. Don't tell anyone who I am. Don't tell anyone who I am. It's at the end where he's now coming in to announce who he really is. And he's announcing to the world who he is. He is the humble king. He is the Messiah. His actions are speaking louder than his words right now. And we want to contrast this triumphal entry, Jesus on a donkey, with that of a Roman triumphal entry. Because the Romans would be saying, this, you're calling this a triumphal entry? What, what are you talking about? This is, like, this is like a Jewish man riding a donkey with 12 homeless people following behind him, right? This is not a triumphal entry. You know what a triumphal entry is? It's after a Roman emperor wins a big battle. Wins a big battle. This is what one historian says. 
He says, an emperor gets a triumphal entry after he killed at least 5,000 men in one battle. That's what he would get a triumphal entry. And the triumphal entry would look like this. He would come in Main Street, this emperor, with three white stallion horses on a golden chariot. And behind him would be all the spoils of war that he just captures and his soldiers that helped him in that helped him attain the battle. And behind his soldiers would be the soldiers they just conquered and they would now be slaves. And you had this massive procession with the emperor leading with these three white steeds on a golden chariot and thousands upon thousands would be worshiping, not again, a Jewish man coming in with 12 guys on a donkey. They would say, that's not a triumphal entry. That's an embarrassment. That's a weak king. But here's the deal. Jesus didn't come to, de- to defeat Rome. He came for a much greater enemy. The enemy of sin. That's why He came to conquer. And make no mistake, even though Jesus came in as the humble king on the donkey, He came to make war that week. He came to make war on sin, death, hell, and Satan on your behalf and mine. So that sets us up. Here comes Jesus. And we see as Jesus is riding, the crowd responds in verses 7 through 11. Look at verse 7. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread to um, leafy branches and they had cut from the fields. Verse 9. And those who went before him And those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom, the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Again, remember the time, the the Israel, the Jewish people were looking for the Messiah to come and, and save them, conquer Rome and save them, to set them free from the oppression of Rome. That's what they thought the Messiah was going to do. But Jesus came with a much different agenda. But with that in their mind, as they see Jesus coming down, again, his actions are speaking louder than his words. He is saying to the world, I am the Messiah. They are starting to receive him as the Messiah, as the king, the one who's going to save them. So there is a buzz in the air. They are getting excited. They are shouting. They are screaming. You have people, Jews coming from all over the world because it's Passover week and they're singing to one another about this coming Messiah. And that's what we see. They see these three things that they start to do because they kind of understood who Jesus was. And the first thing they do is they start, verse 8, start to spread their cloaks. That's like rolling out the red carpet. It goes all the way back to 2 Kings 9. They're, they're rolling out the red carpet for Jesus. They're acknowledging that He is the, the King. He is the Messiah. He is coming. So they're throwing their coats on the ground as He's coming down. So that's the first thing they do in worship. Second thing they start to do is they, they spread and they share and they're, they're waving leafy branches or palm branches. And this symbolized victory to the Jewish people. It goes all the way back to Jewish Maccabeus, also known as the hammer, because he won a great battle for the Jewish people and and, and release them from the bondage of the Greeks in 1600 BC, uh, 164 BC. And they're celebrating that when, when Judas Maccabeus won their freedom. Now they see Jesus as winning their freedom from Rome. And so they're waving these palm branches. They're throwing them on it. It symbolizes victory. It's like us. It's like us remembering what was fought on the 4th of July and, and and people waving the American flag. 
They're, they're, they're worshiping Jesus. They're saying He is the King that's going to bring us victory. And then lastly, we see them again sing with shouts of praise. Again, they'd be singing from the Psalms from 113 to 118, from 113 to 118. These, these praise the Lord Psalms. These would be what the, the, the people would be singing as they're working their way up to Jerusalem. They'd be singing them and shouting these phrases back and forth to one another. We see in verse 9, they're saying, Hosanna, which means save us, deliver us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then on the other end, they would see in verse, um, verse, verse 10, they would say, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. They'd be saying this back and forth to one another as they're following Jesus. They're worshiping him. They see him as the king. And they're excited. There's an anticipation in the air. I want to do something this morning. We've done it every, every now and then. But I want, I want us to experience kind of what they were experiencing as they were, they were hiking to Jerusalem, as they were making their way. Now, we're obviously not hiking, but I want to take half the room. And I want this half right here to, to read verse 9. You will say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then this half of the room is going to recite verse 10 back. And you're going to say, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. So this is a moment in which you guys get to participate a little bit. And again, we're just trying to get a little bit of a feel of the excitement that they had, that they recognized that this is Jesus, the Messiah. And they start shouting back and forth. We're looking back on this event. These words mean even more to us than even to them. So can we do that? Can we try that a little bit? All right, this half right now. Verse 9, ready? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Again, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who is coming the kingdom of our father David. Guys, we all have different translations, you guys. All right, whatever. It sounded good in my mind when we were going to do that. but So they kind of got it. They kind of got it. Because some of these people, even though right now, Sunday, Palm Sunday, they're walking in and they see Jesus on the donkey. They're praising Him. But some of these people at the end of the week are going to be the ones in the crowd saying, crucify Him. Crucify Him. Even the disciples, they didn't fully grasp what was going on and the significance of Jesus coming in in His triumphal entry. John 12, 16 says this, His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered. This is the first triumphal entry. Jesus announcing to the world who He is. I am the humble King who's coming to save His people. And then the day ends in verse 11. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And we had looked around at everything as it was already late. He went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, as we look back, what does this do for us? This is more than just a historical event. But again, here, as with all the Old Testament, Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. And as we look back and we see Jesus fulfilling prophecy, it should fuel our faith. It should fuel our hope. There are over 300 to 500, depending on the commentators you read, prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in full or in part, in shadows. And we see here that He's fulfilling several in Mark 11, 1 through 11. Now, how, how, how incredible is this? That Jesus fulfilled them all. One uh, mathematics statistician did a little, did a little 
you know, survey, so to speak. And he said, if only one guy would fulfill eight of these prophecies, this would be the, the statistical probability of that happening. Basically, he said it would be a statistic impossibility for one man just to fulfill eight of these Old Testament prophecies, but Jesus fulfilled at least over 300 of them. And this is what he said it would be like. It would be like filling up the state of Texas two feet deep with silver dollars. And then on one of those silver dollars, you would put an X on it, and you'd hide that one silver dollar with the X in all those coins. You blindfold a man, put him in the middle of Texas, and have him pick out the silver dollar with the X on it. That's the mathematic probability of one man just fulfilling eight of these prophecies, and Jesus fulfilled 300 of them, even more in some people's mind. When you hear that, the guy says it's a statistical improbability, but not with Jesus, not with God. He fulfilled every prophecy about him in the Old Testament. So as we look back at what Jesus fulfilled, riding on the donkey that's never been sat on, coming from the Mount of Olives, people singing and laying down palm branches and laying down their coats and worship Him as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that's coming that was prophesied in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Jesus fulfilled all that. That should fuel your faith. This is more than a historic event. As we look back, we can acknowledge that Jesus truly is who He said and who the prophets said He was going to be. The Messiah, the Savior of the world. But we don't stay back there. We don't stay back there. This us looking back should now propel us to look forward to His second coming. His second triumphal entry. Now turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. We're going to look at verses 11 through 21 quickly. This Revelation 19 should take two, three, four sermons to preach through. So we're just going to do a fly over it. But here's the second point. The first point is the sovereign. The first point is the, the servant king arrives here. The sovereign king arrives. Revelation 19, verse 11. Look at verse 11. He said, Then I saw heaven open up, and behold, a white horse. Mark that. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following with him on a white horse. Verse 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe, on his thigh. He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of lords. This description in Revelation 19, needless we say, it's a, it's a little bit different than the description we read of Jesus coming in Mark chapter 11, is it not? Both are true. And we need to look and see and worship Jesus with the complete picture as the servant king and as the sovereign king. 
If we only think of Jesus coming as a baby and living the perfect life in our place and dying on the cross as our Savior, and that's where we leave Him, right back there, then our hope, our worship, and our faith will be incomplete. We need to worship Jesus in His totality, not only as our Savior, but also now as our Lord, as our sovereign King. He is the conquering King. He is the Lion of Judah. And He is coming back to rule and to reign. And so we look back at His first triumphal entry because it points us forward to His second. We should, just as those in Zechariah's day, be looking forward to the Messiah. Just as low in Jesus' day who were looking for the Messiah to come, we should also be looking for Jesus to come back. With anticipation and with faith. And man, I mean, just pause and think about it for a second. This past week has been absolutely just a circus in our country and around the world with all the stuff going on. Has it not? Wickedness, evil seems to be running rampant. Is anyone in here just been going like, what is going on? Is anyone else in here frustrated with what's happening in our world? Is anyone in here fearful of what's going on in our world? Do we look around and be going, help, we need help. This passage today Revelation 19 points us to the one, points us to the hope, points us to the security that we have, that our conquering king has not left us. He's ruling and reigning right now. He's allowing these things to happen, but one day he is going to come back and he's going to eradicate not only the, the presence of sin, but the power of sin as well. Jesus' second coming, He's going to come as the conquering victorious King. Not riding on a donkey. Notice what it says in verse 11. Riding on a white stallion. Again, going back to the Romans, when they would have read this, they would have been like, oh, this is a triumphal entry. The King is riding on a white horse, a white stallion. And notice, Jesus won't be having slaves following Him. Look who's following Jesus as He is coming in, His second coming. Look at verse 14. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following Him on the white horse. Jesus doesn't have slaves behind Him. He has saints behind Him. You and me and all those who bend the knee to King Jesus. That's who's in, who is in his army. And look at the fatigues that they're wearing. Look at, the, look at the camo pattern that they're wearing. They're built for war, right? They're wearing fine white linen. What? Pure? Holy? How, how is that? How are they getting ready for a war? Because there's not going to be much of a war. Jesus is going to take care of that, as we'll see here in a second. We're coming to worship and witness the conquering, the power, the rule and reign of our King. It's an incredible scene. Here, Jesus is given several names for in particular. He's called, look at verse 11, faithful and true. 
That means he fulfills prophecy. He doesn't break promises. What he says he's going to do, you can take it to the bank. He's going to do. He's true. He's the word of God, verse 13. He means he has authority, absolute authority. He speaks, it is done. He's called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, verse 16. And then in verse 12, he's given a name that nobody knows. Isn't that kind of weird? He's faithful and true. He's the Word of God. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. But he's also, there's a name he has that no one knows. Why is that? Well, because God, even in heaven, we won't know him exhaustively. He is all powerful, he is all knowing. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. If they were, then we would be God, but we're not. So even in heaven, God is going to be above all things there. And also think about it. When a, when a, when a family has a, a baby, the ones in authority over them give them the baby the name, right? No one has the authority to give Jesus a name. It's his own name. He's his own authority. So these are the four names. He's faithful and true, the Word of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he has a name that no one knows. And then more description is given to him. His eyes are like flames of fire. It means this, that no one can escape his judgment. Everything done in secret, everything done in the shadows, he sees, he sees clearly, and he will bring judgment to that. He sees everything. He sees right through you and me and all who ever lived. He's crowned with many diadems. That, that's not like an, uh, a golden crown. It's more like a headband. He has a bunch of headbands uh, around his head. I was going to say like the karate kid, but then be like, oh, he's kind of weak sauce. And I don't want to give you that image, right? Right? He's a strong, sovereign king with his head, all these headbands around him. He proves that he is ruler of many nations. His clothes, his robe is dipped in blood. Some people think that's an allusion to the, to the cross and going for his saints, but I think I saw with the other commentaries that mean this, his road is dipped in blood and it's, 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 it's coming, what's coming is judgment. We see he's going to go to the wine press and he's going to tread the wine press, the fury, the wrath of God. This is going to be the blood of those that are his enemies that reject him, that want nothing to do with him, that actually go to fight against him. He carries a rod of iron. He executes justice and righteousness. There is no injustice in God's kingdom. And on his robe and on his thigh, we see this writing, this tattoo, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the Jesus we worship as well. He is the lion. He's the conquering king. He's the sovereign king. This is who we should be looking for. Now, as we look back to his first triumphal entry, it points us forward for anticipation of his second triumphal entry. Verse 11 says that as he comes this second time, he's coming in holiness, in righteousness, and he judges to make war. He's going to battle again. The first time he came and again, he took care of sin and the power of sin, His second coming, He's coming to eradicate sin altogether. And it ends in verse 21. In this great battle, it really isn't really a battle. It's God speaking, and the rest is history. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of Him who was sitting on a horse. Now, why all this? Let's get real practical. Again, we could spend a lot of sermons on this, but I want to get us real practical this morning. This event, 
is bookended by two great feasts. The first great feast is found in Revelation 19, 6-9. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. At this feast, this is where all the believers, all the saints, all those who are dressed in fine and white linen, pure, holy, and blameless, who put their faith and trust in Jesus, will be at His banqueting table, supping with Him, rejoicing and worshiping. We sang the song, We will feast in the house of Zion. It's an incredible feast, an incredible banquet, incredible salvation celebration. That's the first feast. The second feast is found in Revelation 19, 17 through 21. And this feast describes the feast of judgment after the last battle. You can read it. It's pretty graphic, 17 through 21, but 21 ends with this. And all the birds were gorged with the flesh of the enemies of God. That's the second feast. And so here's the question for you and for me this morning. Which feast will you be a part of? Which feast will you be a part of? Will you be feasting in the house of Zion? With Christ and all those others who believed, clothed again in fine linen, worshiping the Lord Jesus? Or will you be feasted upon? Or will you be feasted upon by the birds of judgment? Will you be the ones that are standing against Christ when He comes back as a conquering King? My prayer is that is you'll be in the first one and not the second one. You see, this is why Jesus' first triumphal entry is so, so important when we look back. It's so important because the reason why He came the first time was to secure that invitation of salvation for you and for me and all who believe. So that when He comes back a second time, we will be in His army and we'll be feasting with Him in the house of Zion. So right now, I, 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 right now, if you haven't bent your knee to King Jesus, man, first of all, we're glad you are here. This is a place where you can come and, and ask questions about Jesus and what is salvation and what is sin and what is all this business? What is the gospel? We're glad you're here. But let me give it to you in a nutshell because today is the day of salvation. This is something you don't want to put on hold. Today you want to bend your knee to this King. He is good. He is gracious. He is loving. And He is forgiving. And He asks you to come to Him and you do that by repenting of your sin and believing in what He has done for you. That He came, that He died, and He rose again for your forgiveness and mine. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that that offer goes out to you. And so we would pray that you would receive Jesus as your King, as your Lord, as your Savior through repentance of sin and believing in what He has accomplished for you in His life, death, and resurrection. And then for those of us that have, look real quick at Revelation 19, verse 9. 
What we see here, Rich just talked last week in Luke on the Beatitudes. Here we see one of the Beatitudes in Revelation. There are seven Beatitudes in Revelation. Look at Revelation uh, 19.9. This is what it says. It says, Blessed and oh how happy are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Those of us that have received that invitation are blessed, are happy, are joyful because we know that our salvation is secure because of what Jesus has accomplished in His first coming. So if you have personally accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then your response this morning should be that of thankfulness, of gratefulness, of joy, of security, that we should be saying, as it says in Revelation 22, come Lord Jesus, come as we look at our world and we see the circus that it is, that we would cry out, come Lord Jesus, we want to be with you. We want to be in a world that has been eradicated. Sin is gone. Tears are gone. Pain is gone. Suffering is gone. Depression is gone. Murder is gone. Sin and evil is gone. And it's everlasting life and joy. Amen? It should produce in us a thankfulness, a gratefulness. But not only that, it should also produce in us a passion and a concern for our friends and family members that don't know Jesus. Because we see their end. And we don't want anyone to go through that. It should produce in us a heart full of prayer, praying for our friends and family that don't know Jesus. That we would extend to them an invitation to come to Easter Sunday next week. Come hear the good news of the Gospel. Come hear the message that can give you security and peace, and hope, and faith. We should be thinking of our co-workers, our friends, where we live, work, and play. We should be praying for them and their souls and extending them an invitation this week. Maybe it's not even waiting until this week. It's sharing the Gospel tomorrow when you see them at work. When they ask you, hey, what did you do this weekend? Well, we heard a message about the Gospel in this, the, the second triumphal entry and I want to extend to you an invitation to join me in the house of Zion. This is how Charles Spurgeon said it. He said, if sinners be damned, get this, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, employing them to stay. Believe in Jesus. And let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Can we have that heart for our friends that don't know Jesus today? Again, this is a joyful but sobering scene. So let us be the instruments in which the Lord uses to invite our friends, our co-workers, our family members that don't know Jesus to come to 
the house of Zion, where the feasts will be great, where there will be joy everlasting, and where there will be no more pain, no sickness, and no death. It's good to look back, but don't stay living in the past. Look forward to the second coming of Christ. Pray for that. Anticipate that. Have a joy and passion for that. And while we're anticipating, let's be about our Father's business and being the ambassadors that we are called to be to extend the invitation of the good news of gospel of Jesus Christ. His grace, His mercy, and His forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this passage. Lord, it's a familiar passage, the first triumphal entry. And we're thankful. Man, we are so thankful that You came first as our servant King. That You did humble Yourself. And You went to the cross on our behalf. You endured the wrath of God that we should have paid for our sin. You took all that on You You were buried and you rose again to show that you truly were the Messiah that was prophesied about in the Old Testament. But now we look forward to you coming back again as our conquering king. We look forward to the day where we will be at the banqueting table with you, feasting in grace and truth and joy in a world without sin without evil, and without death. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In Your name we pray. Amen.